because he rose from the dead. He defeated the grave. He's alive. He's not in a tomb somewhere. He is alive. So he has that opportunity and that ability to hold me fast. We praise the Lord for that. Um, we also, a couple of things I meant to mention during our prayer time, Doug and Carol are also battling. Carol's been sick now for a couple of weeks with a sinus infection and things like that, so she's, she's not doing well. Uh, Doug also has succumbed to uh, a nasty head cold, uh, so I want to remember to pray for them. And then we've been praying for his mom, Eve, and let me just give you an update on Eve. Uh, she's... Uh, it says, update on mom. The angiogram revealed that she can have the stent procedure, so that's an answer to prayer. But first they have to switch her blood thinner, which could take a couple of weeks. Not sure at this point what kind of care mom will need in the meantime. Okay, so continue to pray for Eve Gridley as um, she is recovering from some heart issues. I want to remember to think of her. She's, as you know, she's moved uh, from this area up to Syracuse to live with uh, Doug's sister, Julie, okay, uh, so keep her in her prayers as well as she cares for her mom and for Doug's mom. And then one other thing that you can pray for this week, Michael will be flying back to Colorado, leaves on Wednesday. It's been good to have him here with us. Uh, we've enjoyed the time uh, just uh, catching up and finding out what God's doing there. Uh, so if you would pray for him as he returns, uh, we would appreciate your prayers for a safe trip and then just resettling back in out there in Colorado. All right. Well, this morning we're going to pick up our study in the book of 1 Peter, and, and we're going to be in 1 Peter, but we're also going to spend quite a bit of time in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to do something a little bit different, and let me tell you from the get-go, I'm going to put Timothy through his paces this morning. Um, hopefully he'll be able to keep up with me uh, as we read through that passage in Ephesians and talking about the blessings that are ours because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, um, and it's, uh, it helps us put us in the right mindset for the suffering that we may face in this life. Um, the title of the message is called The Right Kind of Suffering. As you look at that title, you might be wondering, uh, is any kind of suffering the right kind of suffering? Why would anybody want to suffer anyway in the first place? And that's a fair question. I don't think anybody is really uh, jumping at the opportunity to suffer. Nobody's putting their hand up and say, yeah, you can bring it my way. I'm ready to have it. Bring it on. Nobody really wants to suffer. Um, but as a child of God, suffering does come our way. And sometimes we have to ask the question, does that mean God abandoned us? Does that mean God left us on our ourselves to, to figure it all out? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Peter has talked about suffering several times uh, in our study this, so far in the book of 1 Peter. Um, and he's going to return to that idea of suffering. And so we're going to talk some, some about this morning about the good kind of suffering. Um, maybe it's better to say it's uh, suffering that um, God has called us to suffer as his children. It's safe to say for you and I who have grown up in, the, in, in America, in the West, uh, we haven't really faced that much suffering for the cause of Christ. Okay, some of our brothers and sisters in other places in the world, uh, in Africa, in, in Russia, and right now in the Ukraine, uh, in, the, in the Middle East, folks have suffered greatly for the cause of Christ, and yet they've continued to be faithful, they've continued to live on, and in fact, you know what, they're praying a lot for us. Those folks that are suffering persecution, and they're praying that, that, that God would keep us 
safe and prepare us for what may be coming our way, that very suffering that they are experiencing. And so as we think about the lives that we live, um, we have been very sheltered. Uh, and, and praise God for the country that we live in, the country that we grew up in. But I think it's safe to say all of us can see that things are changing in the country in which we live in. Okay, um, For those of us who call on the name of Christ, who name the name of Christ, uh, it's, not as, it's not as comfortable as it once was. And we need to be ready because that may not, it may get worse and worse in the days ahead. And so uh, this kind of uh, talk from Peter is, is right in the heat of the battle. The people that he's writing to, they were facing some of the worst persecution the church has seen. They were, they were living under the reign of Nero, okay? And we all know what kind of guy Nero was. He was not a nice guy. In fact, you've heard me refer to him before as Nero the nut, okay? Because that's what he was. He was a crazy man. And he thought he could do anything he wanted to do, and he pretty much got away with anything he wanted to do because he was the most powerful man in the world and he was a dictator, okay? So realize that's the kind of suffering that the people that are reading firsthand the account of First Peter chapter 4 where we are going to be this morning. Would you stand together and read with me from the screen First Peter chapter 4? Uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16 this morning. First Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 16. Peter writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Let, let, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together as we look into his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and, and we've just read a difficult passage of Scripture. Uh, it's a passage of Scripture that really warns us to be ready, to be prepared for suffering that may come our way. It also reminds us that any suffering that comes our way should be for the cause of Christ and not for any sinful activity that is going on in our lives. And help us, we pray, as we work our way through our text this morning, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, and that, yes, we would even become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we look at our text this morning, we could classify suffering as deserved suffering and undeserved suffering. Or in our notes this morning, we're going to call it valid suffering. And are you ready for this word? Hang on. It's actually a legitimate word. I didn't make this one up, okay? It's, it's villainous suffering. You see in there the word villain, okay? When you think of a villain, what do you think? Somebody who is a 
bad person, okay? So there's valid suffering for the right reasons, and there's villainous suffering for the wrong reasons, okay? And we're going to break that down in our study this morning. Starting off verses 12 through 14, we see this idea of valid suffering. This is the kind of suffering that has a good outcome. And you, so you might say, well, well, pastor, what is the outcome? Well, that's a fair question, and, and we'll get to that as we work our way through our text this morning. But let me tell you this. As we think about the possibility of suffering, we as Christians, we need to develop the right mindset for suffering. What is the mindset needed for a good outcome? Peter starts off this paragraph by saying, do not think it's strange, okay? Um, we might say, hmm, that's pretty strange, Okay, but Peter's saying, don't think of it as being strange. He wants people uh, who are in the midst of persecution, like those who are reading this letter, he wants them to understand that suffering for the cause of Christ should not be something that is seen as strange. In other words, it should be considered as normal for the life of the child of God to suffer persecution. Now, as I said, it's a bit different for us here in America reading this text because we haven't suffered that kind of persecution but it could be coming. It could be coming. So just be prepared that it could be coming. And can I tell you this, that just because people in America aren't being killed for their faith at this point, or they're not being tortured for their faith, it doesn't mean that you're not suffering. We may be suffering just to a a smaller degree when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody, and they laugh at us, they mock us, they say, do you really believe that? Are you serious? You know, that's to a small degree some suffering because we're not used to that. And, and you know what? Our feelings might get hurt, but you know, suck it up, okay? Let's move on and let's continue to be faithful like the, the folks that were reading Peter's letter remained faithful to the cause of Christ. Um, he says, don't think it's strange. It's not strange. And they, they could identify, yeah, you're right, Peter. It happens all the time. Every day of our lives, we're facing this kind of suffering, um, It's interesting there that he mentions the idea of a fiery trial, okay? Now, Peter was talking about something that was already going on. Now, these folks weren't living in Rome, but the Christians that living in Rome who were under the direct thumb, the direct pressure of Nero, you know what was happening to some of those Christians? They were being gathered up. Some of them were being fed to lions in in the Colosseums. But others of them were being used as human torches, okay? Nero would gather them up, and he would uh, tie them to a stake, and he would douse them with pitch, and he would light them on fire, and he would literally use them for his garden parties. I told you he was a nut, okay? So when Peter says, this fiery trial that is about to come upon you, that is what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, listen, we know that it's happening in Rome. We know that it's happening under the hand of Nero. Where you are, your local leader, your local governor, he may be just as nuts as Nero, and it may be coming your way. So be prepared. Be ready to stand in the midst of these fiery trials that may literally burn you to death. Okay? He, he doesn't want them to, you know, he's not holding back at all here. He's laying it all on the line. He's saying, this could happen to you. You see, Nero blamed the, the Christians for the burning of Rome. Now, some accounts say that Nero actually is the one who set Rome on fire. Okay, and he didn't do anything about it while it was burned. You know, you hear this, the, the, the old line, 
Nero fiddled while Rome burned. He probably didn't fiddle because he didn't play the fiddle, but he did play other instruments. So he probably uh, was just really sitting back, not doing anything when he could have stopped it or at least lessened the, the, the result of the fire. But instead, he used it as an opportunity to blame Christians. And so he came up with this way of saying, hey, you guys burned Rome, now we're going to burn you. So he says, listen to me, you readers of my letter, this could be coming your way. Those reading Peter's letter could have well thought that they might become the next human torches. The Bible Knowledge Commentary makes this comment. It says, some, were cover- some Christians were covered with pitch and used as living torches to light the imperial gardens at night. Peter may have believed that the, that the provisional officials were likely to follow their emperor's example and stake burn Christians in Asia Minor. Such persecutions should not take the Christians by surprise as though something strange had befallen them. How would you like to be living when being burned at the stake was normal fare for the Christian? Hmm. That's tough. I mean, we think the normal fare for the Christian is being laughed at and, and maybe some privileges reduced or taken away from us. These guys knew what persecution meant. Okay, And Peter says, listen, don't let it overcome you. The right mindset helps believers, helps us endure suffering with Christ-like faith, which allows us to further identify with our Savior. And you know what else it allows us to do? It allows us to receive his blessing, and it causes us to trust God more completely. So you might be going through something in your life today. You might be suffering as a Christian. And you know what Peter's saying? Hold hold the fort. We sang the song, he will hold me fast. You see, it's not dependent on me to hold myself in the suffering. It's me, it's dependent on me to trust my Savior and my God to hold me through the suffering, whatever that suffering might be. So the right mindset is important. We also see here in our text, Peter says that making a merry heart is good in suffering. You know, we need to have a merry heart when we're suffering. He says, but rejoice, be glad with exceeding joy, and blessed are you. You know what that word blessed means, right? I mean, it means happy. It means content. It means you're fulfilled with your course in life. Rejoice, be glad with exceeding joy. Not just a little bit of joy, but exceeding joy. These phrases that Peter uses here are the result of a couple of things. First of all, they are the result of the work of Christ in our lives. As a child of God, as one who knows Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can rejoice. You know what Paul said over in Philippians? And everything give thanks. Rejoice in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. That you rejoice no matter what's going on in your life. You should rejoice because of what Christ has done in our lives. You see, prior to accepting Christ as our Savior, there wasn't much to rejoice about. There just wasn't. What was your hope? What was your future? Who did you rely on? Yourself. And if yourself wasn't very good, you were in trouble. And even if yourself was good, sorry if that's not right over there, Virginia, as far as all the pronouns and all the English going on. But if, 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 you, if, you're, if you couldn't do it all on your own, you were in trouble. 
And you know what? When you stood before the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be in trouble. Because you're going to say, but God, I did this. And he's going to say, no, it doesn't count. At that great white throne judgment seat, at the Bema seat, it's not going to help when you say all the good things that you did. Because remember what Isaiah says? Our good things, our righteousness is filthy rags. It doesn't cut it. Prior to accepting Jesus Christ, there wasn't much to rejoice about. But as a child of God, there are many reasons to be glad. Lots of them. I think of a song written by a group called Glad back in the 80s. You know, 80s music is the best. I'm sorry, I just, it, it really is. Here's the words to that song. In these days, and it really is very fitting for us today as well. In these days of confused situations, anybody confused as you look at the world around you today? Very confusing, isn't it? In these days of confused situations, in this night of restless remorse, when the heart and the soul of a nation lay wounded and cold as a corpse, from the grave of the innocent Adam comes a song bringing joy to the sad. Oh, your cry has been heard and the ransom has been paid up in full. Be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Every debt that you ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of the Lord. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. Now, the songwriter says, from your dungeon a rumor is stirring, though you've heard it again and again. Now, but this time your cell keys are turning, and outside there are faces of friends. Though your body lay weary from wasting, and your eyes show the sorrow they had, oh, the love that your heart heart is now tasting has opened the gate, be ye glad." So be like lights on the rim of the water, giving hope in a storm sea of night. Be a refuge amidst the slaughter of these fugitives in their flight. I'm telling you, it could be, it could be written in 2022. For you are timeless and part of a puzzle. You are winsome and young as a lad. And there is no disease or no struggle that can pull you from God. Say it with me. Be ye glad, be ye glad, be ye glad. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for my deliverance. Yes, he's delivered me from sin. Yes, he's delivered me from a Christless eternity in hell. But he continues to deliver me day in and day out, day after day after day. Be ye glad. No matter what your circumstances are, we, we are glad because you know what? We know what our future holds. We know where we will spend eternity and what's happening today in the here and now is only for a short period of time. What's the reason for the gladness of heart? Why do we have this merry heart? Well, Paul expounds on it. This is where we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 for a few minutes. So take your copy of the scriptures and turn there with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Timothy is going to transition now to a PowerPoint uh, presentation, okay? What we're going to do is a little bit of Bible study this morning. In fact, we're going to do some inductive Bible study, okay? This is not normal for us here on a Sunday morning to actually work together through a passage of scripture, uh, just physically marking up the text. You aren't going to be able to mark the text, but I've marked it as we read through it. What we're going to do, you know what an inductive Bible study is, right? It's where you build upon each thing in the, pa- in the passage that you're studying. Okay, so we're going to read through the text. We're going to ask lots of questions. Uh, there's, in fact, five questions, five, five W's and an H. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. We want to interrogate the text. We want to find out who the text is, is about, 
Who wrote the text? What is it telling me in the text? How do I put this into practice in my life? So as we read through our text this morning, we're going to we're going to mark all of the references to God. And when I, when I do an inductive Bible study, I mark the references to God uh, with a triangle because it's, it kind of shows the picture of the triune Godhead. So every reference to God, we're going to mark with the, with the triangle. And then Jesus Christ, every reference to Jesus Christ, we're going to mark with the cross because why? He died on the cross to pay for our sins. We're going to come across some mention of the Holy Spirit in here as well. We're going to mark that with an HS, okay, Holy Spirit. We're going to mark us. Okay, we're going to circle, simply circle that as we read through the text. So here we go. We're going to read the text. Timothy's going to mark the text as we read along. Uh, and so you don't have to read with me, but just follow along as I read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him. Now that might get a little confusing, right? Just as he chose us. Well, the he, it's a triangle. It's referring to the father, just as the father chose us in him, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Look at all the marks on that text uh, and that passage of scripture. You can see, uh, you can hit that back button there, Timothy, it'll take us back there. And you see all the markings on the text. It just kind of makes it a little simpler to understand as we read through it. And if you're really doing inductive Bible study, you're not just going to read the text once, but you're going to read it, and you're going to reread it, and you're going to reread it as you ask all of these questions. We don't have time to do that, so we're just going to read it once. We're going to read a couple of verses more than once, but we'll go ahead and carry on in our inductive study of the text. Moving on to verse 5, it says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus, Jesus Christ to himself, that's God the Father, according to the good pleasure of his will, that's the Father's will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You see, this is all the work of God the Father, but how does he do it? He does it through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, in him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. We also have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Whose grace? Christ's grace. Christ said, yes, I'm going to lay my life down on the cross so that you might live. Going on to verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. How many of you this morning want to know what God's will is for your life? Most of us want to know that, right? That's a, that's a puzzling thing that we deal with as Christians. What is God's will for my life? What does God want for me? Well, can I tell you, if you study the scriptures and you take note of all the things that God says, this is the will of God for you, you start there and then God will c- continue to unfold for you personally your plans that he has for your life lying ahead of you. The mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Who's in charge of our lives? God the Father. He purposed it in himself. Moving on to verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That's a purpose statement. God the Father is going to gather to himself all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. 
Okay, all of us, we're going to be gathered together. Aren't you? I can't wait for that day. The rapture is going to happen. We're going to be caught up in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we'll all be together in glory. Hallelujah, what a great day that's going to be. Let's go on to verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Who doesn't want an inheritance, right? We have obtained an inheritance being, uh uh-oh, here's one of those big fancy words, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. As we do inductive Bible study, another thing that we do is we take those big words, those, those key words, those words that we might not understand, and we write them down on the side, and then we go back and we do word studies about those words. We find out what they mean. Okay, Predestined means he chose us beforehand according to what? According to his purpose, his plan. And he's going to work all things out according to his will. You know what that says? God is sovereign. You know what? COVID didn't take God by surprise. When COVID first came up in America, or you can go all the way back when it happened in China, God didn't throw his hands up in the air and say, oh no, what am I going to do? I don't know how to handle this. He knew, he knew, according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trust in Christ should be to the praise of his, can, can we think about this for a minute? Can COVID result in the praise of God and the glory of God? Yeah, it can. If we let it, if we allow God's plan to be worked out, it can and should it says, should be to the praise of his glory, no matter what it is. Those people reading Peter's letter who might become human torches should be to the praise of his glory. Whew, that's tough, isn't it? Let's go on. Verse 13, in him you also trusted. Why wouldn't you? If he's done all of these things, he's working all things out according to his plan, why wouldn't you trust him? In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's the mention of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we even in a Baptist church talk about the Holy Spirit. Okay, He sealed us. You know what that means? That means you can't lose your salvation. You can't give your salvation away. You can't quit. God has sealed you with his Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee? There's another thing that we would say. That's a key word. What is the guarantee? He makes sure that it's going to happen. Okay? Um, he's the co-signer, if you will, on our seal of redemption. It, you know what? We can't make it happen. The Holy Spirit steps up and says, no, it's already a done deal. And, and Jesus Christ is there pleading for us on behalf of our, uh, uh, to the Father on our behalf. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. There's that phrase again. To the praise of his glory. So these are some pretty amazing things that have happened to us as a result of the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. So as we continue our inductive Bible study this morning, we want to break down this text. We want to do a little more asking of questions. Who is the text about? Go ahead, Timothy, to the next, uh, there's a blank screen, and then go to the next screen. Who is the one, who is this text about? Well, the text is about God, the Father. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ And it's about who? It's about us. Wow, that's kind of pretty all-inclusive, huh? And and so God has covered everybody in this 
in this passage of Scripture. It's God the Father, it's Jesus Christ. Later on, we'll see that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. It's us, okay? Now, what happened in this text? There's the, we've asked the who, now we're asking the what. What has happened? Well, we're blessed. We see that, right? We're blessed. Um, who gave the blessing? The blessing came from the Father through Jesus Christ. How, how big is this blessing? Well, it says every spiritual blessing. Did we miss one? Did we forget one? Did one get left out? No, it's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God chose us to be the recipients of his blessings. That's pretty cool. Stop and think about that for a moment. God chose you. God chose me. Wow. Have you ever been have you ever played a pickup game? Maybe it's basketball, maybe it's baseball, and you were the last one to get chosen? Because everybody knew, uh, he, you know, we have to pick him because it's gym class, but uh, he's, he, he's the guy who trips over his own feet. He's the guy who, you know, we don't really want him on our team, but we have to have him on our team because the coach said so. God chose, didn't, didn't you always want to be the first person chosen? Choose me. You, you, you know, I'm really good at this game. I can make you a winner. And so somebody chooses us. God chose us not because of what we could do for him, but because of what he will do for us. God chose you. And so if you're here this morning, you're struggling with who you are, where you are, what's going on in your life, can you remember this? God chose you. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you didn't choose God. God chose you. God made you part of his family. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He has something that he wants to accomplish through you. When did he choose us? Well, he chose us before the foundation of the world. In other words, he didn't look down and say, oh, he's going to be a good member of my team. He's going to help me win. Before the foundation of the world, in eternity past, God chose me. Not because I was worthy of being chosen. That's for sure. He chose me. What did he choose me for? That I should be holy and without blame before him in love. Me holy? Me without blame? How can that be? I know me. Okay? Think of it this way. How many times have you driven down Route 81 going 70, 75 miles an hour? That's because you don't drive. <laughs> if you're a driver, how many times have you done I've done it. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I've done it. Sometimes I know I'm doing it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm just trying to not get run over. Okay? Um, but you know what? I, I break the law because I do that. I do things that are wrong. Sometimes I get a phone call and say, oh, it's 11 o'clock at night. I don't want to take a phone call at 11 o'clock at night. That's not the right attitude. I need to do what God has called me to do. I need to be obedient to God. He chose me because he loved me. He didn't choose me because he knew I would take the phone call at 11 o'clock at night. He didn't choose me because he knew I would try to set my cruise control at 60, if I'm honest, 68, okay? Um, 
He chose me and he makes me without blame. Even though I continue to sin, when God looks at me, he looks at me through Christ and he says, you are holy and you are without blame. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross of Calvary. He chose us. Now, here's something that really ought to, and maybe it's going to rock your world, okay? I hope it does. How did he prove that he chose us? How does he prove that he loves us? Well, go on to the next slide. We're going to see. He proves his love for us in the fact that he adopted us, okay? He adopted us. He, he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. You see that little one pop up there? First thing in the list that proves he's, he's chosen me. He, he chose me before time began to be adopted as a son. Can I say this? Even if you're a girl, I, boy, I don't even know if I want to go there. Okay, he, he places you, even if you're a lady, he places you into his family as a son, which gives you all the rights of the family. We're not talking about transgenderism stuff here today, okay? He places you in the family of God with every possible right that you can have as a son because of what Jesus Christ did in your life. Wow, that's a lot. If we stopped there, that would be enough, okay? But he goes on and he tells us that he's done other things for us. Look, he made us accepted in the beloved, He made us part of the beloved, part of his body, part of the the family of God. And then it says, in him we have redemption. You know what it means to be redeemed, right? He's bought us back out of the slave market of sin. He redeemed me, not because there was anything good in me. You know, when when Peter uses that word redemption, he he wants us to think of something in in our minds, especially the first century people that were reading this. They were thinking of, of slaves. That's another bad thing. Okay, slaves. And so when you were in the first century, you might very well own a slave. And you would go to the slave market. And you would, you would walk through the line of slaves and you would have in mind the things that you wanted that slave to accomplish if you bought him or her. And so you would look at them, you would examine him physically or her, and you would say, you know what, this guy looks like he's pretty well put together. I want him because I need somebody to to plow my fields. So you would go and you would buy that person out of the slave market. To be redeemed would be somebody would come and buy that person and set him free. No longer bound to, to slavery. God has redeemed us through his blood. What did he redeem us from? What were we bound in? We were bound in sin. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He redeemed me. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are redeemed by our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ through his blood, and we get the forgiveness of sins, which means I don't have to pay the wages of sin, but I've been redeemed according to the riches of his grace. Man, it, and it keeps getting better. There's other things that God did for us. Go ahead, Timothy, to the next slide, if you would, please. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom, having prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. What's God's will for my life? Can I sum it up very simply and say, being obedient. 
That's God's will for your life. You need to do what God has told us to do. Where do we find it? In the pages of Scripture, that's right. We find it here. It doesn't have to be as difficult and as as mysterious as we sometimes make it. He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His, don't you love that extra word there? His good pleasure. As, a, as our master, as our owner, he's seeking our good, his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Again, he is the sovereign one. That's how he has proven his love for us, that he has chosen us to be part of his family. What am I because he has chosen me? Well, we see here that I am a son. We already pointed that out. I am a son because God chose me. He chose me to be a son. And if you're a daughter, he's going to give you all the rights as well. Wow, that's pretty amazing. You'll find that in the next series of slides there, Timothy. I am a son in verse 5. I am to be to the praise of his glory. Wow. I get to praise God. I get to bring glory to God. Me, a lowly sinner. Me, who deserves separation from God in a place called hell, gets to give glory to the sovereign creator of the universe, the one true God. That's awesome. That's amazing that I get to do that. I can't do that in my own strength. I can't do that in myself, but I can do that because he chose me. You know what? If God is going to brag, you know what he brags about? You and me, his children. What do we brag about? Well, if you looked at your camera roll on your phone, you guys brag about your grandkids, don't you? That's what we brag, I mean, we brag about it. We brag about our kids. We brag brag about the account. What's God bragging about? His kids. Look what I, look what I did in that person's life. I, I use that person to bring somebody else to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I use that person to accomplish that. I use that. God gets the glory. God does it. He does the work. And, and we get the privilege of being participants in what he's doing. He brags about the things that he accomplishes in your life. I also see that I am blessed in verses 3 and verse 6. Blessed. I am happy. I am rejoicing. I am grateful. And then in verse 13, I am sealed. That means I can't lose my salvation. It's not, nothing can take it away from me. So if we know all these things are true about us, let me ask you another question. What do I do because I am so blessed? Well, first of all, how much of all this good stuff does God give us? Look at these phrases. He's lavished it upon us. We're, the riches of his grace. He doesn't give us just little bits dribs and drabs, he lavishes it upon us so much that we don't know what to do with it all. Over and above what we can actually use. And what do I do because I have been so blessed? Well, to the praise of his glory. Three times Peter uses that phrase. Verse 5, verse 6, and again in verse 12. What do I do? To the praise of his... Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You are amazing. You continue to amaze me. You continue to do good things. To God be the glory, great things he has done. To the praise and the glory of our great God. There's no doubt 
that you and I have been blessed amazingly by the work of God and the work of Christ in our life. So guess what? Endure the trials. Endure the suffering. Endure the difficulties. Because we know how blessed we are, how how much God has poured out upon us, we need to remind ourselves of the goodness of God in our lives, no matter what trial we are facing in this life, no matter what sadness is going on in our life, we focus on who we are in Christ, and that should alleviate the stresses that we face in life. Praise God for his goodness to us. Peter's not suggesting anything new here. He actually goes all the way back to Solomon's writings in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, Solomon wrote this, a joyful heart is good medicine. A joyful heart, a merry heart, a happy heart, a blessed heart, a heart that understands all that God has done for you is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. You see, Solomon and Peter both agree that we know that we have been blessed, we have been given so much in Christ, we should have a a, a merry heart and we should focus on the merry heart that God has blessed us with. Well, we need to continue on. What makes suffering valid when it's for the cause of Christ? When you and I suffer for the cause of Christ, that is what makes good suffering, it makes valid suffering. And, And this is sort of a review here for Peter. He talked about it back in chapter two when he was talking about unjust suffering. He said this, he said, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And again, in chapter four here, he says, if you are approached for the name of Christ, if your suffering is related to your relationship with Jesus Christ and because you are living for him, then you are blessed. Even in your suffering, you are blessed. You're actually furthering your identification with Jesus when you endure the hardships in his name. And so when this happens, instead of saying, woe is me and having a pity party for me, what should my response be? To God be the glory. He's glorified. And we bring glory, whenever we bring glory to God, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, As much as we might want to dwell here on the valid suffering, we need to just briefly talk about this villainous suffering, the bad suffering. Peter points out that there are things that we should suffer for as Christians, and there are things that we should not suffer for. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. Uh, We can understand that, right? I mean, murder is a bad thing. None of us as Christians should be murderers. But if you take that to its fullest extent, we shouldn't be hating people either. Because God says hating is, a, is akin to murder. So don't murder in your hearts. Don't be a murderer. Don't be a thief. Don't steal something from somebody else. Don't steal their house, their car, their horse, their bike. Anything. Don't, th- don't be a thief. Don't be an evildoer or a busybody. You see, we tend to break down sins and categories, don't we, as humans? That's the way we are. We look at that and say, oh, that's bad. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. That's really bad. I, I'll tell you this. We, we had a guy in our church. Um, he, he asked us, will you pick me up for church? And he lived on the other side of town. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll pick you up. 
Um, and we were, I was driving home one night, and, I said, and, he, and he was telling me he would just been recently released from prison. Now, he had been coming to church for, for quite a while, um, and was a nice guy. I, I mean, he, I was happy to be around him. And, and so as he's telling me, um, and I have my kids in the car, my wife in the car, okay? So he says, oh, what were you in jail for anyway? A murder. I have to tell you, I had to, I, you know, I just had to think about that for a minute. Timothy, I think, isn't it? What was his name? Remember? I don't remember. I, if I think about it long enough, I'll think of it. Um, uh, Timothy was another guy who came from uh, further up north. But anyway, uh, I, had to, I had to stop and think. Wait a minute. I've got a murderer in the car with my wife and my kids? Am I really happy about that? Am I really, is that okay? But, but God saved him. God did a work in his life. God transformed him. Praise God. Okay, so we might not understand he was a murderer, but God changed him. We don't want to suffer as a murderer. He did his time in jail. He paid his penalty. He paid his time, and and, and he got out. But Paul says, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a thief. You know, those were capital offenses in Peter's day. If you killed somebody, you were put to death. If you stole something from somebody, there was a good chance that you might be put to death. I mean, you know what happened to horse thieves in the, old, in the Wild West? You stole somebody's horse, you know what happened to you? They hung you, hanged you, whatever the proper word is. They, they put you on a gallows and let your feet hang, from the ground, hang off the ground. That's what they did to you. They killed you. Okay, Capital events, those are bad things. Peter says, don't, don't suffer for bad things that you do. And he throws in there, an evildoer. Well, yeah, that's still a bad thing. That's really just a general term for any misconduct. Don't be a person who breaks the rules. Unless it's what God wants you to do to honor him. So as we think about this, we think, well, those are some pretty bad things. You notice the last thing he throws in there? Don't be a busybody. Now hold on, Peter. How can you say murder and stealing and any bad thing is equivalent to being a busybody? Sin is sin. God doesn't break it down into categories. If you sin, you're separated from God. Peter says, don't make sin a practice in your life. All sin is bad. All sin separates us from God. And we should strive in our lives to live pure and holy lives. Scripture defines sin as missing God's mark. Sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments and we say, well, there's, there's a list. That's what God doesn't want us to do or God wants us to do, and we better keep the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, Jesus simplified the Ten Commandments. He was talking to a, a lawyer. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? Um, and, and, and the lawyer says, what do we have to do to be right before you? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, uh, well, here's the conversation. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So in other words, do what is right before God, do what is right before others, and you're good. (laughs) When's the last time you messed up? This morning? Yeah, right. 
So sometimes we tend to break them down into the major sins. It's interesting that Peter gives us almost a list, if you will, of sinful activity. He mentions those bad things, and, and, and he talks about the fact that as a Christian, you should never be guilty of those things. But then he talks about the minor sins. He throws in here a busybody. A literal translation of that word busybody is one who busies himself with what does not concern him. We might say sticks your nose in somebody else's business. Okay? And again, why does Peter throw that in there? Well, because he wants us to understand that God doesn't want us to be involved in any kinds of sin, whether it's the little white lie or it's the big thing of murder. Strive to be innocent before God. Well, let's wrap it up with the victory of suffering. In verse 16, Peter says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You see, Peter reminds us that the suffering for the child of God, for the sake of God, is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a blessed thing. Peter says that when we suffer as a believer, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, it further identifies us with our Savior. You think about that. We just got done celebrating Easter, right? What happened on Good Friday? Jesus hung on a cross, right? You know what the Old Testament says about people who are hanged on a cross? Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Ooh. Jesus was cursed? The Son of God bore our cursing. He took what you and I deserved. He hung on a cross. He suffered the death of a common criminal even though he was innocent. But there's victory in that cursing. Victory in that suffering. I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it over in Hebrews chapter 12. You know these verses. Looking unto Jesus, the founder or the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Here it is. Who for the joy that was set before him, did what? Endured the cross, here's the phrase, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross as a cursed criminal, despised the shame. He counted it as nothing. Didn't let it ruin his life. I mean, he did come back to life, right? And and he conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered Satan. It didn't ruin his life. We would look at it as a kind of a setback. But God had a plan. God raised his son from the dead. The tomb is empty. He's not there anymore. His body can't be found. And like we said last week, if if people really wanted to dispel the the myth of Christianity, they would just produce a a, a body. All you have to do is show us the body of Jesus. But they can't. And it's not for lack of looking. Okay? They they put everything into that they could to find the missing body of Jesus. And it wasn't found until he stood amongst them. And there he is. Isn't Isn't that the guy that we hung on a tree? Well, it sure looks like it. Look, there's even holes in his hands and his feet and that big hole in his side. It's got to be him. How'd it happen? 
He rose from the dead. How can that be? God. Because then the writer of Hebrews says, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His work is done. He accomplished everything he set out to accomplish. It is finished. His work of redemption has been complete. And because of that, we are identified with Christ and his sufferings. When we suffer for the cause of Christ, we can despise the shame. And we can look forward, like the author and a finisher of our faith looked forward to going back to heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father. Someday, the Father is going to say, Jesus, go and get your bride. Today's your wedding day. And he's going to descend into the clouds of heaven, and he's going to catch us up in the skies, into the clouds we'll go, and in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be in the glory, we'll be with our Savior forevermore. Why can we endure suffering? Because he's coming back for us, and he's going to take us home. And the suffering that we endure is only temporary. This suffering that you and I face is making us more and more like our Savior, and it brings glory to God. When we suffer and we, and we tell people what happened and why it happened, we should never stop giving the account until we say, to glory, to glory be to God, who, who gave me the opportunity, who gave me the ability, who brought me through it. It is good for us to suffer in the name of Jesus if that's what he's called us to suffer. And that's what Peter wants us to understand when he talks about the right kind of suffering. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for so much that you have done for us. That little Bible study that we did in Ephesians is packed full of so much amazing stuff that you have done for us, that you do through us, that you continue to do in us. Father, we are blessed beyond our wildest imagination. We can't even fathom all that you have done for us. And when we stand before you in glory and we, we, we are welcomed into your presence, Father, we will again bow before you and say, to God be the glory for all that you have done. Whatever you have accomplished in and through us, it's done for your honor and for your glory. Even when we get those crowns and we cast them back at your feet, to God be the glory. Father, when we face suffering, and as we admitted this morning, we haven't really had to face that very much in this life that we have lived up till this point. We don't know how long you'll tarry, but we may very well suffer some of the persecutions that our brothers and sisters down through the ages have suffered. And if that's the plan you have for us, Father, help us to stand fast, knowing that you will indeed hold us fast through the difficulties of life. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Ben's going to come and lead us in our closing song. If you're here this morning and you need to make a decision to trust Christ as your Savior, we'd love to help you do that. If you're here this morning and you want to uh, talk about maybe some things that you're dealing with, some suffering that you're going through, uh, we'd like to help you work through that in a biblical way as well. Maybe you're here this morning and say, hey, you know what? Now's the time. I need, to, I need to take that next step. I want to be baptized. If you want to come and let us know that, we'd, we'd be happy to work with you for that. We're working with some others already in that process, um, so we're looking forward to that as well. Ben, come and lead us if you would. Uh, the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's stand together as we sing this closing song.